welcome you to a new year at Genesis Community Church. So if the new year falls on a Sunday, that means you get 53 of these in the same year. So you get a bonus Sunday in 2023. Hope that you, yes, yeah, right, hope you, we, we all use it well. So this is, uh, if I did my, it's going to be a while because leap year messes with it. It's going to be a while before we have another 53 Sunday year, like in the 2030s or something like that. So let's just enjoy it while we can gathering together on New Year's Eve 2023 as well. So we begin the year and we end the year in the same space right here. Looking forward to seeing you, Lord willing, on New Year's Eve, the end of this year. So I'll explain why we're in Jonah here uh, in a moment, but uh, you guys know me and you know that I'm a a medium fan of college football. I've watched very few bowl games. I haven't, like, until yesterday... And yesterday provided what I thought were the two best bowl games that have existed thus far, the two playoff games. They were phenomenal. Joey Franks gets to celebrate a Georgia win that feels like a loss to him. <clears throat> Go dogs! Yeah, I uh, had lunch with Joey this week, and he was wearing his Bulldogs hoodie. And I, I'm secure in my manhood. I felt okay with it a little bit. And I think about that, you know, every school has it. Now, I know we didn't all go to that same school. Some of you guys went to a certain maroon school. Um, But every school has uh, practices. It has ways in which they operate. And so if your school's fight song plays... That's, that's pretty nice. You, you know what to do. You have the movements. I don't know all the movements, but if you're at a game, Ethan and I were able to go to an LSU football game this year, and, and like everybody knows what to do. Now, any football fan knows this. When the third quarter ends, what do you do? Third quarter ends. Come on. Come on. Do you guys not know what football is? Or you hold up four fingers, right? You go to the fourth quarter. There you go. Four, yeah, you go to the fourth quarter. Uh, my gosh. I, I, I was looking at the people in the room when I was about to start this sermon. I thought, they're not going to know anything I'm talking about. Like, what's football? Um, certain songs play, and you go, yeah, I know what that one is. I know what to do here. I know how to cheer. I know, I know whatever it might be. If you're in an Astros game, the sound of the train, that means something good happened. When the train is silent, the game is not as exciting. Everybody, every culture, every subculture, every team, everything has little rituals that happen. Ways to demonstrate devotion, ways to demonstrate concern, and they're real rituals. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're fake in the sense that like they, don't, they, don't, they mean something to the people who do them. Even those, if you came from, uh, I have family who uh, came from Roman Catholicism, and there are a lot of practices and postures and things that are done in those services, some of you came from <clears throat> church backgrounds that you know, like certain times of the year, certain times of the calendar, there's ways that you behave, ways that you operate. Some people here uh, practice uh, Lent as just kind of a way to engage in a discipline of fasting or a way to just kind of set aside something. And, and again, none of these, are, none of these are, are bad things. They actually can be rather helpful ways to engage the Lord. Not demanded, but helpful. And I think about that for a world that is full of ritual, a world that is full of practice, and I don't mean ritual in a bad way here, full of practices, things that you do. Uh, I, I assume many of you have a way you start your day. You have a general time that you get up, a general time that you go to bed, or I was talking with a friend even this week, and I said, when do you, when do you go to bed? Uh, because that's like my Achilles heel. I saw one and two o'clock in the morning a whole lot this past week. Um, like, and it's like nothing. And then you just get up and start the next day, whatever time it's supposed to start. Like, it's not healthy. And you slam four cups of coffee and you have a heart attack. So I think about how that's built in. People of habit, people of rhythms, people of ritual, people of structure. Those are things that exist in everybody's life in some way or another. Uh, Some are really structured and some are less structured, but all of you have it. Uh, and the holiday season probably demonstrates that more than others, where you go, oh, well, this is the year where we go to my in-law's family, or this is the year that we go here, or some of you try to s- split the baby and do all of those at the same time. 
go, well, we have a different Christmas for my in-laws than we do for my family, than we do for, like, my cousins. And so you go to, like, 45 things over the past week. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you're just like, I think this is my 30th thing today. Uh, because you just, everyone's like, well, we've got to go to our thing, too. And so we all have them, and the holidays kind of bring that out of us. And you end the holidays, even if you're down like you've been on vacation time, more tired, like you're going back to work, you're like, praise the Lord, I get to go back to the office where there's like, I feel like I'm going to be doing nothing because I'm not, my schedule's not slammed with things. That's all silly ways on a new year when we're a little groggy and many of us were kept up by fireworks to say that the Christian life does have habits attached to it. Different people have different ways that they engage scripture, different ways that they pray, different ways that they worship. Uh, Even here on a Sunday morning when we're gathering, some of you guys have different ways that you express yourself even as we're singing, right? Like like that that some are like, man, I remember talking to a family member who's like, I will never put my hands up. And I was like, well, don't be the stubborn guy that like now is so committed to not doing that, that you... You like make you become. A, I, said, I told him it was my, an uncle. I said, "Don't become a caricature of yourself." Where you're like, "Now I can't do it because I've declared that I can't do it." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, you're right." So from time to time, when we're worshiping together, and I see his hand up, I chuckle. Um, but we're entering into a five-week series on the topic of prayer and fasting. And prayer and fasting is something that for many of us in our kind of circles of evangelicalism is a little obscure. It's a little obscure because we don't know what it's supposed to do. Jesus says, don't tell anybody you're fasting, and yet you'll see in all of the examples that we look at that there are groups of people who prayed and fasted, not just one person who was going and doing it. And so we have this kind of feeling of, I don't know what to do with it. Um, we, I don't know how it works. Prayer seems important. Why is fasting important? Why is it like all of those things kind of get into our head? And I think one of the reasons that we don't engage in some of those habits more is just because we're not as familiar with them. They seem weird. And we don't know, like, how do I know if it worked? Right? Like, that's the other thing. Because we're so, I was talking to one of my kids about immediate gratification. And, like, you want to go, like, did this do anything? Did this accomplish something? Because, like, if you're fasting, like, I'm just hungry now. Or, like, like, I, like what, what happened? And so we want this immediate return on our investment. And we're not sure what to do with it. Or our prayer doesn't go answered for a while. And so we stop praying. Because, oh, well, clearly it's not God's will. I'm like, you know, you've been praying for that thing for, like, two days straight, like, that's it. Like, like I, don't, I don't know if you can determine God's heart for it unless, unless he's, like, somehow told you or it's just blatantly sinful. I don't know if you have enough time to know that. So, so we're entering into the year because what we want to do this year is build uh, on us as a church and us as uh, individual disciples grow our heart for prayer, our understanding of prayer, the disciplines that might attach to it. Uh, And as we get toward the end of the month, along with other churches in the Houston area, through the Houston Church Planning Network, we will be doing a a month or 30 days of prayer and fasting, which is, you might sound like that's really spooky, but really it's like fast as you are able. (laughs) Like there's not like a declared like, hey, we're going to do it all on this day at this time and in this way. Fast as you're able, some specific ways to pray for unbelievers in your life particularly. Because that, that is an area of very many disciples under development, or who, who in my life doesn't know the Lord? Who do I want to see know the Lord? And so we're using this series as a way to just expose our minds and our hearts to this topic better, so that as we enter into January and into February, we have kind of a base to come from. My desire for all of us, myself included, is that we become better, more effective prayers, people who love prayer more. And I even uh, I would pray for everybody here that you have specific prayers answered this year. That, like, like that you actually see the Lord move in ways that you had not anticipated. Because you're praying uh, regularly for those things. So, so we're asking everybody to increase in their burden for prayer. And increase is a rather relative phrase, isn't it? Because it's like, well, I don't pray almost at all. I was actually talking with an old friend of mine. He was in my first small group in Baton Rouge. We had like an hour-long Zoom call this week where I ran through prayer and, and how I approach it and how I thought I could help him. Kind of, he's like, I was like, what are your current habits and strategies? He's like, I don't, nothing. I was like, great. Well, let's, talk, let's start with nothing and let's, let's, like, like, let's make the next step something. And we'll go to something next. And so here are some ways you could do something. And so 
Uh, so we started talking through that. And again, spent about an hour together. And I was like, well, here's your homework. Let's see what's going on. I'm going to follow up with you at the end of the, every month and just see how you're doing. And like, where are you finding frustra- frustration? Where is your flesh kind of stepping in and going, you don't need to do that. Like, let's just start moving toward that. So I want that. We want that for everybody in this room, anybody connected to this church, anybody who would be connected to this church, that we become better prayers. The prayer and fasting idea is really just to look at corporate calls to prayer and fasting, because that's what we're asking of our church, and that's what churches in the city are doing. Um, and, and so the corporate call to prayer and fasting is, let's look in the Word and see. So this is interesting. Now, go with me here. I always got to watch my time. Oh, I stopped the clock uh, probably six minutes ago. So I have six more minutes um, to go than I had originally. The prayer and fasting series is interesting because it's kind of a theological development of a topic. But when you're coming into a passage at a, at a, at a time other than the beginning, you, it's, you have to kind of get caught up. And so Courtney and I were finishing a movie last night, and, and she was out of town. And so, of course, I, I watched it without her. So I'm like halfway through. I'm like, I got to give you the first half so you know, kind of know where we are. And so for the next five Sundays, including today, I will be doing that. So you're going to get exposure to more concepts in Scripture, more Bible books, kind of what's going on. So every time we're in a book and we're just doing a chapter or a portion of that book, you're going to get kind of a feeling of all that's going on so that when we draw out this topic of prayer and fasting, it's nestled in the, the positioning of the book. So that's, that's why. So it's not just, hey, we're going to do prayer and fasting, and we just did a, like a Google search and go, where does fasting show up in the Bible? We're going to put it in all these different spots. And multiple churches around the city are doing that very thing. We're going through the same passages, same topics. Uh, we're sharing outlines and saying, here's what I have. But currently, it's apparently me sharing outlines with everybody else because nobody else is sharing them with me. Uh, so they have all of my stuff. I have none of theirs. So we'll see how it goes. So... The whole church is getting my, or the whole city is getting my sermons this, this month if they want them, uh, or whoever's doing this. I don't know if that's really what they're going to be doing, though. And they have our sermon design. So I was like, here's, just take whatever you want. So if you see this floating around on some other church's website, just know where it came from, right? It didn't come from me. It came, yeah, it came from us. You just say that, hey, Genesis sends their love. So let's start with the book of Jonah. We preached the book of Jonah in 2020. Jonah's four chapters. Pretty easy to remember. There's a call. There's a prayer. There's a call again. And there's a lesson for Jonah. So it's kind of Jonah with the Ninevites. Jonah with the Lord. Jonah with the Ninevites. Jonah with the Lord. That's, that's kind of the flow that you'll see. One chapters one, two, three, and 4. Jonah is a book every seminary student gets to know because you have to translate the Hebrew of Jonah in like chapters 1, 3, and 4. So it's a pretty common book for a, a seminary student to get to know. The Hebrew is pretty easy, and so it, it just kind of, it, you just spend your life translating it. I was running like study sessions on Jonah. I remember sitting in the cafeteria at Dallas Seminary. Um, chapter two, you usually skip because poetry is harder, but Jonah is one that you become really familiar with, and in fact, most, most people, when they kind of get into a new pastorate, they preach Jonah because it's the one they know the best. They're like, I'll do Jonah because I know it. And we're like, this is great, Jonah. We don't ever hear any prophets. You're like, well, kind of a cheater because I spent a whole semester on it. So we're going to go through Jonah. First, we're going to just see the, our, our series was called Runaway Prophet, if you remember that, a runaway prophet. And so Jonah was a prophet who was called by God to call out a nation. That nation was an enemy of Israel. And so Jonah was like, I want nothing to do with those guys. So he fled. Now, if you remember, when he flees, he finds a ship going in the opposite direction that Jonah was supposed to go north. He decided to go west. He's like, I'm getting out of here. And so he gets out of there, moves along, doesn't want to have anything to do with, uh, with the Ninevites. So then there's this big storm. Remember the storm? There's a gigantic storm in chapter 1. Everything's buffeting. Everyone's freaking out. All the sailors are, like, worshiping and sacrificing. And they're like, we don't know what's going on. Jonah's asleep down below deck, and he's trying to figure out, uh, they wake him up, they're like, hey, you sacrifice as well. And Jonah is like, oh, shoot. I know exactly what's going on. This is because of me. Throw me overboard. So he gets thrown overboard. And chapter 2, uh, he gets swallowed by a dog gadol, a big fish is what that is. And he's, uh, he has this prayer in chapter 2 where he's sinking down below and he's going into the depths. And so there's imagery of like sinking and drowning and dying. And then the fish spits him out on dry land. So any Bible book where a fish eats a dude, that's a good book. I mean, like, 
you're kind of getting anything you'd want in life right there. So God calls him. He runs away because he doesn't like the Ninevites. There's a storm. He goes into the belly of the fish. The fish vomits him out. And that brings us to chapter 3 where he's going to go and preach. Chapter 3 moves us to chapter 4 where he gets another lesson. And that lesson from God is, I care about all people. That's how Jonah ends. It ends with a rhetorical question from God. Jonah's mad that this little you know, plant that sprouted up over his head has now withered and he's getting a sunburn on his head. So maybe he was bald. I'm kidding. Just thinking of some of you. Uh, but maybe you know, it's gone. He's angry. God goes, why are you so worried about this plant? Shouldn't I be worried about the nation a bunch of people who don't know their right hand from their left, and many cattle. It actually ends with the phrase, and many cattle. And it's left, the reader is left trying to figure out, is this what God cares about? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. Like, God is concerned about those who are enemies of God. He is concerned about nations that are ruthless against God's people. He is concerned about not just the people, but even the entire economy that exists, the cattle as well. He wants that entire group of people to be turned to him in this. It's the Ninevites. So in the book of Jonah, we see a couple of things. We see God's care, his concern or care of those far from him. We see the condition of God's people who are concerned more about themselves than of what's going on in the world around them and the obedience to God's call. At a professor's seminary called Jonah the anti-missionary story. It was more about what didn't happen than what did, that Jonah's disobedience and his obedience. And even his obedience in chapter 3 that we're going to get into is a little bit, seems a little begrudging. He does it, uh, but he doesn't seem happy about it because in chapter 4 he doesn't rejoice in the repentance of the Ninevites. He still assumes they're going to receive judgment. And he's waiting for the judgment to rain down. We then see God's mercy. God's mercy on the Ninevites and really God's mercy to Jonah to teach him about his own heart. To show him the condition of his heart and to show Jonah God's own heart for the world. And so we see God's care for those nations, the disobedience of his people, but God's mercy towards both his people and towards those nations that are enemies of him and how he pursues them both. He pursues the Ninevites through the ministry of Jonah and he pursues Jonah by teaching him a personal lesson about the condition of his own heart. That brings us into chapter 3 as we do this month-long series. Uh, we're going to focus on preparing for what is to come, the kind of, I think it's the 30th of January through the end of February. And in chapter 3, we're going to see a few things here. We're going to see God's mercy toward the Ninevites. And then we're going to see this full declared call to repentance. That's, that's, that's what we see. So chapter 3 is, 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 is the, the return of Jonah, or the call a second time of the Lord to Jonah. So God demonstrates his mercy first. Now, you're going to see this to Jonah and to the Ninevites. Here's how it happens to Jonah. Look in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I, I love that. Just I know I've already, I've already stopped the reading. A second time. And I love that that's God's heart for his own people, which is like, okay, you didn't get it the first time, so let's try again. And the second time, you go, oh, is that, is that what you need? So the word of the Lord, it's the same construction as in chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, get up and go to Nineveh. But now it's the word of the Lord came a second time. And it's the same call. It's the same call to, to Jonah. Go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it, the message I tell you. And then there's a change. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He didn't go down to Joppa to take a boat going to Tarshish. He went down to Nineveh, or went over to Nineveh, and went to this great city. Jonah there, by himself, doing what he's supposed to be doing, preaching. And you see how big the city is. 
is an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in breadth. And everyone's and archaeologists are like, well, you can walk through Nineveh in, more than, in less than three days. So why does it say three days? And there is kind of this thought that it, just, it takes three days to get that message to saturate those people. You go to different places and you preach. And so you can't, it's not just like one stop. You go to a household, you preach, and you're out. Right? So it takes time for this message to go and for, the, for Jonah to preach and say what's going on. And what is the message that he says? Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a pretty serious issue. So the mercy to Jonah is in the second calling of him to go and proclaim. And the mercy to the Ninevites is an opportunity to turn and trust the Lord. That's why maybe you've heard this phrase before from the scriptures. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because we don't know if we will hear his voice tomorrow. We don't know if that call will be on us tomorrow. And so if you hear him calling you, move. Don't harden. If, there's a, if, you, if, you, if the word of God is bringing you to a place of decision or transformation, don't go, no, 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 no. Right? Don't be stubborn and hard-hearted about it. Respond. And so there's mercy to Jonah because God's coming back. And there's mercy to the Ninevites because God's coming to them. In the message that Jonah brings. The message isn't about Jonah. It's about God's message for the Ninevites. That's an important thing to remember even in us as we proclaim. Because so often don't we look at evangelism as like me having to get it right so that God will do what God promises he'll do. We kind of look at it like, like, like hey, I, I better be sure I say the right things. I better be sure I use the right verses. I don't have the Romans road memorized. Shoot, you know, I can't get that done. And so we get so worried about how we're going to say it, right? So worried about how that's going to be received. But, but one of the big things in any sharing of Christ, and this could be in a discipling relationship with somebody who's growing in the Lord or in an evangelistic relationship with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, is what you are doing is you are presenting to them what God has said or what God requires. And you do that in whatever language or approach that makes the most sense for that relationship or for those people, you do that, but you're still just presenting the Lord to them. You're not presenting them with craftiness or with some kind of cool way of making it make sense so that if, it, if it's successful, it's because you did it. And if it's unsuccessful, it's because you didn't do it. It's so important for us to remember that. And Jonah teaches us that because God is using a pretty, it seems like a pretty like arrogant man to deliver a people. He's using somebody who really seems stubborn and set in his ways and rather judgmental, right? It's like the neighbor that you don't like who's like, can you tell me about your church? And you're like, fine, right? Like, but I hope you don't come because you ruin it. Like, you have that little heart. You laugh because you know it's true, where you're like, I'd love for you to come to know the Lord. I just don't want you in my small group, right? Like, that, like I, I, I don't want you there. I want you adjacent to me. I'll love talking to you about your church. Just don't come over. And that, that happens for many. That was like Jonah and the Ninevites. Like, okay, I'll give this message, but I really hope it doesn't work. I'd like to see them destroyed. They've caused enough problems for other nations, so let's just get rid of them. That's not God's heart, is it? That it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, that, that he is patient and that he delays bringing judgment. And there's call after call after call so often that happens and there are probably even, I mean, how many of you have thought through your New Year's resolutions and gone, well, this is the 38th year that I've had this one. And, and rather than lose weight, I just keep gaining it. Rather than have the, you know, rather, like, rather than save money, I just keep spending it. It's just the same thing, right? And in the kindness of the Lord, like there's still the ability to go before him and go, Let's go, God. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm committed. I'm ready. <clears throat> and in this kindness, he goes, all right, let's go. It's so gracious of him to do that. You actually see in verse 10, the end of this passage, the response of God toward the Ninevites. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So mercy to Jonah mercy to the Ninevites, you, they even, as we get into it, aren't sure how God would respond. 
We're going to see this question a couple of times. Next week when we're in the book of Joel. I think the following week when we're in the book of Esther. There's this, 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 this period where like you're responding to what God does or what God has revealed. And you really are giving yourself over to the care of God to do what he said he would do. You're going, well, I'm going to, who knows? You see that question coming up, who knows? Maybe he will move. Maybe he will do something. So we see the mercy in the beginning and end of chapter 3. We see the response, this full call of repentance. We see the response of the Ninevites. So if we look at this, if you look in verse 5, what you see is the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. What did that mean? They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. You see the change in word there? They believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Very often we talk about fasting as the ceasing of something. The the, the removal of something. A lot of people like to do social media fasts. I'm going to do a social media fast. I'm going to do a TV fast, a Netflix fast, whatever. I'm going to stop doing it. In general, that terminology isn't really in the Bible. You can do that you can, as a discipline, but fasting in Scripture is the, is the removal of food and or drink. That's what it is. So I think our, our current definition is much broader than the scriptural definition. That's not a bad thing, but when we see the phrase fasting in Scripture, we shouldn't be like, and they all decided not to watch you know, Gilmore Girls that week on Netflix, and, and they decided to pray instead, right? Like, that's not... That's not, what, that's not what we're thinking about. It's the, it's the removal of food because, right, think about this, you're removing a specific source of sustenance. A lot of the things that we fast from aren't life-giving. And the reason we try to remove them is because we know they're not life-giving. It's a totally different thing to deprive yourself of something that is good for you so that you can pursue someone better for you. That's a totally different thing altogether. And so we're not really just going, oh, hey, well, what kind of bad habit do you have that maybe you could commit to not do as much? Right? Like that, you should just do that because you follow Jesus. Right? Like, like it's not like, like you should just do that. It's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't watch that as much. I probably shouldn't do that as much. I probably shouldn't look at that, talk to that person in that way. Like all those things, those are just good disciple habits. But depriving yourself of something that is beneficial so that you can pursue the Lord with a different kind of intensity, that's an altogether different kind of approach. And that's what the Ninevites are doing. They're calling a fast from the greatest to the least. Now, as the word begins to travel, look at verse 6. The word reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Right, He gets up, arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes. These were demonstrations of serious repentance, serious consideration. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king. Now listen to how exhaustive this decree is. Let neither neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. You see the, the transition? Don't eat, don't drink, call out. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? There it is. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So what we see is a turning of the Ninevites at this time in history. First with full conviction about what God had said. With full conviction. They see it and they turn. They believed God and they called for a fast and they put on a sackcloth for everybody. You'll see that again next week. This, this, this declaration's going everywhere. We don't go, and let's just use the evangelism as our, as our context. We don't go to people and call them to turn from their sin and toward Jesus with our own reputation in mind. Like how might they view me? It's how they view the Lord that is of utmost importance. We call them to God 
and we speak thus with God's authority. Right? Like, again, ambassadors have delegated authority from the one who has granted it. And so as ambassadors of Christ, as people who speak, as people who have his spirit and have his word and are called to go and make disciples of all nations, we bring not our own authority, but authority that has been given to us. Jonah was only who Jonah was because of what God had done for him and what God had called him to. And we are only who we are for the Lord because of what he has called us to. It's still his work. It's still his commission. It's not my commission. It's not Genesis' commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's not what I do. It's not what you do. Like, hey, this is what you have to do because Hans said it. No, we have to do it because our Lord said it. The one who gave us life. The one who gave us all. And let's not lose that in this process. So they turn with full conviction and I, I, I use this next idea in 6 through 8 with, with full, I use this as the word seriousness. I don't have another way to put it, so seriousness it is. They turn seriously. They look and they go, you know what, God? Like We're going to turn and we're going to do anything that we think we can to demonstrate that what you have said matters. Now this for us is such a low ah, concern, I'll put it that way. Like, like for us, and I love that we are so grace-based. We should be. But because of that, we don't have great categories for lament, for seriousness. We don't know how to be broken. We don't know how to be grieved over our sin. We don't know how to join with somebody else who is grieved and join them and grieve with them. When we see scriptures, just weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, we're like... I'm going to rejoice with you because that's the one I can celebrate something cool that happened. How do I weep with you? How do I enter into your confession and care about what's going on with you because we are so united? This communal aspect of how we are supposed to operate together, how, how people have operated together, is so foreign to the American mind because we have a rugged independence and individualism that says, well, that sounds like a you problem. I use that sentence at least three times a day, it seems like. That's, a, that's not my problem, that's your problem. So you need to deal with that. How do I, how do I help? I was talking to somebody uh, just yesterday, just texting with a family member and saying, hey, you know, 2023, how can I be praying for you? What do you need? And there was this uh, just desire to pray for greater health. Yeah, that's a big one, right? You get older and your body breaks down and so you pray for health and um, and, and so it's everywhere. And pray for the health of kids, pray for the safety, pray for this, pray for that. Those are all common prayers. I'm very happy to pray them for people. I said, I do pray for that. love to keep it going. And, and listen, if there's anything I can do to, to help, to, to care, to support you, do we need to go on walks together? Do we need to find time? To, like, do we need to do things to enter into this together? What, what can I do? Um, and he goes, I'll let you know if I need anything. And I was like, no, no, no. I want you to let me know even if you just want anything. Like, like, not if you need anything. I just want, I want you to tell me if you just want to hang out and talk about it. Or, you, or like, like I, want it, I, I don't want it to be like, well, if I need you. Because, again, in our rugged independence, we don't feel like we need much. I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. I don't need your correction. I don't need your care. Like, like if I, if, you know, and we certainly won't say we want it. The king decreed. And in those cultures, what the king said would go. Very difficult in our culture to really, we just don't honor people we don't like. It doesn't matter what authority they are. If a pastor says something you don't like, you don't do it or you go to a new church. If a, if a governor or a president says something you don't like, you just don't do it. You know, and sometimes there are like ramifications for it and you just hope you don't get caught. Other times you just go, I don't care about that. Um, so I remember, you know, the movie... Stranger Than Fiction, you don't have to watch it, I like weird movies, where uh, the, the, the gal in it, she just didn't pay a portion of her taxes, the portion that went to things the government funded that she didn't like. And so she's like, I just, I just don't pay that portion. And it's a funny little exchange between you know, her and Will Ferrell where he's like, you can't do that. You can't, you can't only pay this percentage of your taxes because you've decided you don't like what the other percentage is on. 
And just like, like we have a hard time, we, like, we, we embrace much more like, yeah, do what you want, and a harder time submitting to authority. And that's actually, in this culture, like if the king says something, you do it. In two weeks, we're in Esther, and Mordecai calls Esther to go before Xerxes or Ahasuerus in Esther. And she says, hey, just so you know, anybody who goes before the king without a welcome could be killed. Could be killed. This is just not a category that we have. So when the king of Nineveh calls a fast, there really isn't room for the people not to do it. Now, we can get into like, well, how many of those like, people turning to God were truly turning to God? How many, like, like you want to get granular about it? I don't know. I don't know. The scriptures don't say. They say what they did, which was they called a fast. And they did all of this, as you look at verse 9, they did all of this in full surrender to God's will and God's ways. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So you see both the turning from what God had said, they heard it with full conviction, they, they demonstrated in the ways that they knew how, they demonstrated how serious of a call this was. And they still, at the end, left themselves to the care of God. And this is why prayer and fasting are not tools for manipulating God. Right? Some people might say it like that. They might say, well, if, did you pray hard enough about it? The reason that it didn't happen is because you didn't pray hard enough about it. And, or you didn't fast seriously enough about it. Like, that's not what it is. Our spiritual disciplines in this realm are not tools to manipulate God because he cannot be manipulated. And so we don't do it. There, there are things that we do to go, God, I'm so serious about this. I don't know other ways to show you. But I'm so serious about it. I, we need you to move. Who knows? Maybe you'll move. And you, see, so you hear that at the end. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you'll do this. Maybe, you'll, maybe, you'll, maybe you will turn. And I love that. Because that should be for us our prayer life. Right? Like, like, God, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for you to intervene. I'm going to ask for you to move here. I'm going to ask you to move there. And so often, you're going to hear me talk a lot about just prayer and some of my little qualms I have with how we do it. Like, one of the things is, like, we have such a, uh, we have a prayer voice. Like, we have this way that once we start praying, we don't sound like ourselves anymore. Like, we, it's like we flip a switch and we become, like, the more spiritual version of ourselves. Which I just think is silly. Like, why do we do that? Right? Like, my kids don't change their voice when they talk to me. Father, may I have more gobstoppers? Like, like it would just be, it would, just make, it would be weird. It would be a weird request. And we're children when it comes to our Heavenly Father. And so I say, talk to him. And they just go, who knows? Maybe, maybe he will turn. Maybe he will forgive. And so I think in our prayer lives, like all these things that we pray for, just go to God with it. Why? Because you're giving them to him and you're saying, and Lord, I'd ask you to move here. And maybe you will. Maybe you will. And I'm going to watch. I'm going to wait. I'm going to look. And the Ninevites were looking for God's mercy. And Jonah was looking for God's judgment. Whose prayers got answered? Right? The Ninevites' prayers were answered. Now look, there's an interplay here, okay? We're going to talk these next few weeks about the, this tension that we often feel between sovereignty and responsibility, between God's actions and man's actions. And this is not a tension that I ever want you to have settled. I want it to be discomforting for you, okay? Like, like just never, never land and go, oh, well, this is how it works. Because you will find... That sometimes you're like, did, did God do that because I prayed? And then there's going to be sometimes God does something you didn't pray for. Like, 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 if you try to define it in some specific way, you'll probably be disappointed. So you're going to see throughout these passages certain ideas. Now look in verse 10. When God, what's that word? When God saw. Now look. 
what they, what's that word? Say it. Did. When God saw what they did, how they, what? Turned from their evil way. God, what? Relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So who acted? Who acted? Everybody. Everybody acted. The Ninevites did something. They, they heard, they believed, they turned with this full, kind of full-bodied, entire cultured response to what they had heard. They turned. And when God saw what they did, he relented. But now let's think about it in the realm of salvation, right? God had already told Jonah to go. Like This was God's plan before the Ninevites even knew about it. While they were still in their evil God was sending Jonah and teaching Jonah so that Jonah would go. And even this book of Jonah exists in a way to teach God's people about his care for a world that is evil. But God is already moving. This is why we see phrases like this in the New Testament. For while we were still, who? What? Sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. You see... Even in the book of Jonah, before Christ came into this world, you see this God moving toward the Ninevites. And the Ninevites hearing a message, and they're responding, and God sees what they did. He saw it, how they turned, and God acted. I use this sometimes, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, one of my favorite verses. Him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing with everything, that we might present people mature in Christ Jesus, right? Like, like, but it, Paul uses this phrase, with all his power that works within me. So I'll do the same thing we just did there. Who's acting? Paul is teaching, and Paul is warning, and Paul is admonishing, and Paul is using his energies and his voice and his writing to present people mature, and God is energizing you can't really separate it out like you get your graduated cylinders like you're in you know, middle school science lab and go, okay, well, do, 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 that. that's, that's man. And then over here, do, 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 that's God. And you balance it out just right. God is always the one who moves. But there is a there's this terrible heart of unbelief that exists in churches. And that heart of unbelief shows up specifically in, I would say, churches of more reformed circles. And that heart of unbelief is God's going to do what God's going to do regardless, so what do I have to do about it? That might sound like a mature position, but I will tell you it is, it is dripping with unbelief. It is dripping with unbelief because we think, well, I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit back and God's just going to do what God's going to do. You can't read a book of the Bible and come to that conclusion. You can't come to the conclusion that, well, God's people just need to sit back, let God do stuff, and he'll just do what he's going to do. I don't need to pray. I don't need to evangelize. I don't need to engage. I don't need to show up in corporate worship. I don't need to teach other people. I don't need to make disciples. I don't need to invest in my kids. I don't need to serve in kids' ministry. I don't need to do any of those things. Why? Because God's going to do it. It sounds mature, but it is unbelief, where you just kind of disregard everything that God asks of his people to do, and you disregard those little things like Jonah 3.10 that say, when God saw how they, he turned. There is a humble repentance that happens and I'll put it this way, that humble repentance is a, is a main pathway to enjoying and receiving God's mercy. It is not the only, that's why I said a main, it is not the only pathway to enjoying and receiving God's mercy, but it is a main 
thoroughfare for how God's mercy can be received. Humble repentance. Because if it's not humble repentance, then you get Jonah 4. Or you get Jonah 2. Where there's a lesson to be learned about a hard-hearted person. But in humility, I'll put it this way, you can avoid the dumb lessons because you stay dependent. You remain broken and in need. You continue to cast yourself upon God. That's why I tell my kids, um, even now, I'm like, if I could get you to avoid dad's stupid mistakes, and I know every kid's going to make their own mistakes, so you're going to have enough of your own to make but if I could get you to avoid my stupid mistakes and you could just make your own that I could, don't, I'm not thinking about, that would be great. And I'll do whatever I can to help you avoid those stupid mistakes. But like, like it, it really, what, I have, then I come from like, I've had to learn hard lessons. I've had to be corrected. I've had to realize that that's a, that's a bad thing to say, a stupid thing to do. And so if you could just learn from me. If you were in our reading plan, we're finishing, you know, that we finished in December, uh, the, we finished with Proverbs and Revelation, which is quite a quite a, uh, a contrast of things to be reading. Like, listen, my son, and then everyone, you know, like you get both. Like people are getting thrown into the lake of fire, and you're just like, you know, honeycombs are great. Um, and so we're like every morning we're listening to that kind of stuff. But humble repentance is the way to go. And I'll say this. For those who are in God's family, now the difference that we see between Old and New Testament is that we have a clear understanding of the way to proclaim repentance and the person to whom we want people to go. And so we have a fuller revelation, a clearer picture of the response, the faithful response to the message of salvation. But every disciple has been given the same commission to make disciples of all nations. For those in this room who are like me, who do not have an evangelistic bent, you do not have an excuse. You don't have an excuse to go, well, that's just not me. I let other people do that. Nope. Nope. God has placed you in places and in relationships with people where you might be the only believer that they have. The only one who knows the Lord and can talk about him. You might be that person. And so when the Great Commission doesn't just belong to the paid pastors. It doesn't just belong to the deacons. It doesn't just belong to the small group leaders. If you are in this room, even if you are 8, 9, or 10, and you follow the Lord Jesus, the Great Commission is, is yours. It's ours to hold on to. To proclaim. So a few things to think about for us as we think about that idea of humble repentance. I want you to first think about areas of your life where you just might be resisting what God is asking of you. Just in stubbornness or disbelief gone, I'm not interested. And before the fish might swallow you, go to the Lord and confess and say, what must I do, God? How do I turn from this? How do I pursue this with a different kind of diligence? Let Jonah be a lesson for us in the man who had a call and disregarded it until he couldn't ignore it anymore. If you have those things in your heart right now that you know you can no longer ignore, do not wait another day to respond in faithfulness to what God has revealed. And that would be the same for those in this room who have existed in hard-heartedness toward God and do not believe him, do not believe in him, do not trust him. It's to say to turn to him like the Ninevites did. To cast yourself upon his mercy. Also, for those of us in this room, and each of these, each of these themes has a different, each of these weeks is going to have a bit of a different bent, a different way we talk about it. So the one this week, as we look at Jonah, is, is in how there's this, the Ninevites just cast themselves upon God through prayer and fasting and sackcloth and the decree, and they're giving themselves over going, he might turn, he might turn and, and forgive us. 
and, it's, and, and he does, and they receive his mercy. <clears throat> we did this some last year. They're going to be uh, at the, there are a few on the way out, um, and there are a couple ways you can do this. We have these, these uh, they say making Jesus known on this side, but then on this side, depending on which version you have, you might, you might have the reverse version, you might, ha- and it might not, it says live, work, and play. And I, I'm going to encourage you guys. We did this last year. It didn't go super well, and that's okay. Um, I would love for you to take this, take a moment, and, and ask the Lord, who are people in your life who people you live beside, people that you work with, or people that are in that sphere of play, where it might be where you exercise, or it might be where your kids are in some activity. It might be, it might just be like on the golf course. Where's that kind of sphere that's not work, that's not home, that you exist in? And who might be in that? So that's just a grid to think through. Who are these people? And just start. That's three people or three households. And you start praying every day that God might use you to share Christ with them. Not even that God would just save them. I want you to be more specific. I want you to pray that God would save them and that God would use you and provide for you opportunities to share with them. Right? Don't let yourself out of the prayer. Put yourself right there in it. I'll say this as well, because I'm going to give you a few minutes to consider it. Um, If you don't have the Church Center app, I think there's going to be a slide behind me, I would encourage you to grab it. And the reason I would encourage you to grab it is because very often at this church, uh, you can just scan that with your phone if you want, um, but don't take a picture of me, please. Um, The reason I say that is because a lot of the times we say, hey, go to the app or the info's in the app or whatever else, like that's there. Uh, But one of the reasons is because we even put that as a a little form, live, work, and, and play, it's just right there in the app. And so if you just grab the app, you can fill it out here and just submit it. I'll be praying for those people as well. I, like, I, and I'll pa- pass them off to other people who are going to be praying for those people as well so that we can join into it together, the people in our lives are praying for that would come to know the Lord. And so if you don't have that, I would encourage you to get it and fill that out. You know who you're praying for, but we want to know who you're praying for. We want to celebrate it. We want, we want you know, Easter 2024 or even Easter 2023 or other to celebrate the work of God in people's lives. But it takes people going and it takes people responding, And right? But what can we do? We can't save people, can we? We can pray and we can proclaim. If we are not doing the things that we can do, the things that we are commanded to do, then how seriously do we take the commission that God has given us to pray and to proclaim? If uh, you're in the room and you, uh, maybe you're a student, I would just say in your work sphere, just put a classmate. Put somebody in your, in, in, like put a classmate and go, I'm gonna pray for this classmate. Uh, if you're on a team, put a teammate. And so use that as a way to do it. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, I'm gonna give you three minutes to consider, to go before God, not to consider it later, to consider it right now, to go before God and go, who are these people? If you want to fill out the form on the app while that goes on uh, and kind of you know, write it down and make it known, do that. But we'll do that and then we will uh, go to communion together and I'll, and I'll come back and give instruction for that. So take three minutes, consider those people starting now.